Thanks for tuning in to the Velo News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, Editor-in-Chief of Velo News, and I am taking a break from the Spring Classics for a couple of days to travel to Sittard in the Netherlands, a small town outside of Maastricht. And this is the home of USA Cycling's Junior and U23 Development Center. It's a cluster of houses um, in a wooded area, and it's where the best male and young male and female riders from the United States come to learn how to be professional cyclists. And we're going to talk with Billy Innes, who is the director of the junior program uh, right now, about some of the philosophies he has for developing young talent, what the process is, and really what the significance of this operation is and and the role it plays in uh, how young male and female Americans become pro cyclists. So, Billy... Uh, thanks for joining me. We just got back from a ride. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I was suffering a little bit on the Cowberg. We were riding some of the climbs for the Amstel Gold uh, race. Um, Billy, uh, describe this setting. Where are we right now? Ah, uh, yeah. We have a little housing complex. Uh, we call it the High Altitude Training Center of Sitter. We're 95 feet above, 95 feet above sea level, 95 meters maybe. And, uh, yeah, it was an, it was an old um, – collection of, of, of housing that were for people that were, I wouldn't say they had mental challenges at one point, um, and the province owned them, and people would live up here uh, and be cared for by nurses and doctors and things like that. There's a lot of rehab. It got turned over. Now there are, I don't know how many houses, eight different houses with a lot of different rooms and have, has ter- have been turned over and has been sold, and now we've rented two houses for the past, since 2013 we've been here. Um, we moved from Isahem, Belgium, to to Sittard. and yeah, it's a good little uh, good little community. Sunweb is across the street. We have a high performance center for uh, triathlon is right across the way, and there's a, a women's team that lives across the way as well. So it's a really cool little sporting community that we have, and uh, it's nice and quiet. It's close enough to town, not too close. <laughs> no one gets into any trouble, and we really concentrate on a lot of training and recovery while we're here. Why is this location so important um, with regards to access to races? We're here in the Netherlands. It seems like a lot of the races you do during different times of the year are, you know, within a couple hours drive. Yeah, it's it's crucial to be close to all the bigger races. Um, it's a trade off from living in West Flanders. I think you have a lot of good development races for juniors in New England for 15, 16 riders, excuse me. And they're close proximity to that, but it's also an added three hours of drive time to Germany or to Switzerland or to France or some of the races that we do. The U23 program spends a lot of time in France, uh, sometimes in Italy, and this is just a little bit closer to all of that. Very centrally located. We're in that part of the Netherlands that's right in between Belgium and Germany. We ride into Germany and Belgium all the time, and it's literally across the rivers, uh, which is really, really nice. And it's um, the proximity to all the big races is really the main key. Uh, key to that we have a service course that's in town which you saw the other day i mean it's a pr- fully professional professionally maintained service course with all our equipment in it and uh, the housing plate c- plays a really key role in keeping the guys comfortable and keeping the girls comfortable and it becomes home after a while some of these riders have come back three or four times in a year um, and then of course the course of their development may come upwards of 10 times and spend a lot of time here and it's nice that the riders get comfortable 
here mm-hmm. as well. It's really, really important for their mental mental stability more than anything because racing over here is a lot more challenging than racing in America. So the topic of junior and just youth development for pro cycling is one that I've written about a few times over my career, and I've had a lot of conversations with amateur cyclists and friends in different parts of the country, and they'll always ask me, like, wow, why – you know, why is it that these guys and gals go over to Europe to race, to develop, to be pro cyclists? Couldn't they get that here? Can't they just go, you know, challenge themselves and train really hard in places like Colorado and California to get ready for the races over here? And what I tell them is like, now nah, you, you know, first of all, the racing leagues for juniors and U23s over here is like, like Texas high school football. Yeah. It's huge. It's well organized. All the kids are competitive. It's held on the same courses that you find with the pro races, but just the racing dynamics and the challenges are, are totally different over here. So what can you say about the, um, the difference you find in races over here compared to the U S and how do those experiences help young men and women become pro cyclists? Oh man. Yeah. That's a, that's a loaded question. There's a lot to unravel from that, but really the main thing is, is riding and racing on the roads that you will eventually see. Should you turn pro It makes a really big difference. You and I were talking about that the other day. Um, think about someone like Tom Boone who has been riding on some of the roads in Tora Flanders since he was 12. That makes a really big difference in terms of knowledge. The guys that train at home, they know that their 40 minute climb is it's going to take me 40 minutes. I know exactly how hard to go. I know exactly when to kind of back off. And now imagine a road that's eight feet wide with cobblestones that you've been racing on since you were 12, that you know all the twists and turns. You know where the you know where the cow poo is going to be on the road because of the wash-off in the spring. I mean, you know all these little tiny things, and it makes a really massive difference. And um, we have to introduce the riders to that. It's very important. We don't have anything like that in America. We have four-lane roads. You can move from the back of the field to the front of the field in, in five seconds. You can get up there, and it's very easy. And uh, Not easy, but you know what I mean. It's, it's, it's easier to get to the front. It's a lot harder to move from the back of the field of 150-person 150, uh, 150 junior field when the road is only 80 feet wide. And, you know, the, the caravan, that's another thing, too, is like the caravan that you're racing with, and juniors don't experience that in America at all. You know, we have all these concerns about insurance, I guess, rightfully so. But, you know, you don't sign a waiver when you race in Belgium. You fall off a cliff at your own fault. You can use your brakes. That's what they say, you know. And so all these – it's a much different dynamic. But it's very important for us to introduce the riders to that style of, of racing because that's what they're going to see at 24, 25, 26 should they turn pro. And the education begins really young here. It begins at 15 years old. You know, I wish I could go a little bit younger, but we have a 15, 16 program for men. Um and it starts then. And I've noticed it's exponentially calming when they've come as a 15, 16-year-old to, uh, as opposed to someone who's 18 and their first race could be Hent Wevelham and Nations Cup. That is a whole other bag of donuts. I mean, that's like being thrown right into a Major League Baseball. Like, you have to hit a home run. Mm-hmm. First shot, first pitch. You know, that's, that's almost impossible. So, yeah, the infrastructure is, is really amazing here, and the support, support structures are amazing too, and, and the races are um, – astronomically better than what we have in the U.S. Yeah, we talked about this before, about um, the philosophy governing um, USC Cycling's development, and, and a lot of your development is just exposure. How many times can you expose young, talented American kids to this style of riding? Because every time you expose them to it, they 
learn something. They pick something up. Well, you hope. Yep. You hope they learn something. They pick something up. They get a little bit better at it. They know a little bit more about positioning. They learn the roads better, et cetera. You know, when you first get these guys and gals over here for the first time, what are the common mistakes you're seeing in the races? And then also just like the lifestyle. Oh, yeah. Um, overconfidence. Overconfidence is one. Um, we're fixated with training in America. We're really good at it for whatever reason. Um, and I've gone over this with coaches and we've talked about this with coaches in the, in the past. And I have some of the fittest kids. I bring some of the fittest kids from around the country to the first block, let's say Hent, Wevelheim, Roubaix, and this dangerous we do, Sturvan and Lindbergh. And I can't even get them to go from the back of the field to the front of the field, right? Sometimes it depends on the group. So a lot of times it's overconfidence. They think they're just going to come over here and ride away. Well, there are literally 80 kids that are just as fast as you, if not faster. And they're also a lot more clever because of the racing that they do. Um, food, nutrition is another thing. Getting a kid to actually eat and drink during a race because sometimes they're so um, clutched in the race. They're just so concentrating on not crashing and, and getting through the event that they forget to eat. And I always tell the boys and the girls – and the U23s and everybody, you're eating for today. You're eating for today's race, but you're also eating for tomorrow. You're also eating for the next day when you're recovering. Um, one of the biggest challenges lately is getting the guys to turn their phones off mm -hmm. at a certain time in the, in the evening and just so they recover. I mean, it's, it's well known that adolescent brains need more time to rest. Uh, adolescent bodies are developing, and uh, all sorts of hormones are needed in the evening for growth and all that kind of stuff. And so a rider that's able to get nine hours of sleep every single day during a stage race is going to be a lot better than an athlete that stays up till midnight every night and has to get up at 6 a.m. the next morning. And you're only getting six per day. I mean, all those little things add up. So those are really, really common mistakes. But, um, yeah, nothing – I have all these little tiny examples but nothing is, like, really ever glaring. It really depends on the group, and it really depends on sometimes how much bad advice I need to unwind that some kids have gotten – and kind of give them more things to think about. And a lot of times how I present it is just like, oh, I ask them a question and I listen. It's like, why did you do this? And let's talk about that. And perhaps you should try this. And some athletes will adjust and some athletes will not. What tends to be the common bad advice you see in juniors, maybe that they picked up from the coach back home or the director back home that just doesn't translate here? I think what I find a lot with, with certain coaching um, that I've seen in the past is some coaches really enjoy 20 minute intervals and that's fine, but it has no application for junior racing whatsoever. Junior racing is, is so on off the gas constantly. And so I've had some conversations with some coaches and it's 20 minute intervals are fine in at a certain period of time, but they don't really translate to the racing that we're doing more often than not. It's one, two, like really sharp little tiny efforts. I mean, you look at a junior race file, it's, it's just constantly spiking in, in terms of wattage and, and uh, if you're training an athlete that's always doing steady state intervals, when they come over here, they're going to have a really, really hard time because it's just so, and it's also just really, really stressful to be on and off the gas like that all the time. So I'm not, sometimes I give advice to coaches and sometimes that advice is not taken and that's fine. Um, but when the athlete comes over here, the athlete knows it straight away. And that's, it's just inevitable. You're going to see that. But um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes eating, <laughs> sometimes, you know, sometimes they eat. I used to be a little bit harder on, on the guys, and I've kind of backed off that. And sometimes they eat 
a little bit too much. You know, sometimes it's a little too much sugar, but that's okay. I mean, they are growing, and I kind of understand that. And it's it's funny how things that they they eat at 17, 18, 15, 16, 17, 18, like speckleuse is like the major thing, and then all of a sudden you turn 19, and they realize like, oh, power to weight means a lot because all of a sudden now the racing has changed. Like, they will do Avenir, and you're basically doing a mini Tour de France, and you have mountaintop finishes. Power to weight makes a really big, you know. We talk about that, um, but I don't really stress it anymore you know i just want to get i want them to get some sleep that's the main thing (laughs) what's your process for finding these young talented riders i mean we have lots of strong racers back home and kids getting in through nika and kids getting into cycling through all these different ways but what uh what races are you looking at and just what's your overall process for choosing which kids to invite over here well i spend a lot of time perusing events i certainly spend a lot of time on the internet um looking at results all across the country but there are three selection events that i that i choose from that are basically automatic selectors so um tour of southern highlands is one if you win the general classification there you will be invited to a trip or a block um if you win the road race at san dimas the san dimas road race in the stage race not the overall but just the road race you will be invited to something and if you win the overall at valley of the sun which i do realize it is early but that that stage race really informs this race block, the early season race block. And the guys that have, t- have typically done well there have done well on this block. And so that's an automatic thing. But then after that, it's just a lot of relying on a network of coaches and, and looking at the results. But we are a re- results-based organization. And we spoke about this the other night. And I have a really hard time justifying taking someone who's always 30th, who may be a little bit behind the quote-unquote development curve. But I, I have to justify that. You know, if I see something in a bike race, if I'm at a bike race and I see someone in a breakaway for 110K and they get caught at the line and they consistently do that, that to me is really interesting. But if I hear about a kid who's like, I'm constantly sitting in and then I'm sprinting and getting 10th, okay. I mean, you have to understand that that's, I don't have, I only have so many seats on the bus. And so it is, it is a difficult, sometimes it's really difficult to choose. Actually, the, the most difficult roster to choose every year is Labatibi. Like, Tour Labatibi is the only Nations Cup we have in North America, and that's always the hardest roster to pick because we need to go there to get Nations Cup's points so we can bring the maximum quotient of maximum quota of riders to world championships. That's really important. And it's definitely a, a conversation I've had in the past with people of saying, oh, you know, so-and-so pro, pro rider, he fell through the cracks. So-and-so pro rider, he's great now, but sure. he wasn't identified by USA Cycling at the junior level, and he missed out on this opportunity, X, Y, and Z. But in talking to you, it sounds like, you know, that can happen commonly because sometimes these riders just develop at a different age. Yeah. So yeah. not every, you know, not all the riders are going to be fast at 15, 16. They may have, you know, hit puberty later, or they may develop world tour level fitness into their early 20s. Yeah, certainly. I mean, Nielsen, Nielsen Paulus is a, is a really good example. I mean, he came over on the first block uh, that we did. So this block, I don't know how many years ago, probably five years ago now, but you know, it didn't go spectacularly, but I knew who he was. Um, Mike Sayers, who knew who he was, he's from Sacramento. And, and, but at the time I had, we had such great kids with massive amounts of talent. So it was really hard to kind of figure out where to put him back in. And that's a regret. I mean, I I look at that, I have that regret now, but thankfully people knew and other coaches recognized that he should be on a U23 team, really good U23 team, developed really, really well. And so it's not always the case that that kids will get into the junior national team and have a direct line to the world tour. It doesn't work like that. And even in Belgium, it doesn't work like that. I know kids that 
that were never on the junior national team in Belgium that have World Tour team jobs now. They have a different set of problems than we do because they have a lot of juniors to choose from, but it's not a direct ticket. And so I, I like to tell kids, or I tell kids often, it's like, just because I'm not inviting you doesn't mean I don't believe in you. It's just that I, we have to get some we have to get some results now in order to get worlds and kind of move some people forward, but don't think I don't know who you are. I know who you are, and I'm trying to figure out where to put you, but I have a very limited number of seats this year especially and, and most likely next year because of the Olympics that are coming up. Um, things are getting a little bit tighter, and, and we also have a very good chance of doing very well at Yorkshire this year, and so I have to take that into consideration. Any team that is functioning really well together is very important heading towards world championships. Bringing six chiefs to a bike race doesn't always work. I mean, that's you need people that are willing to sacrifice. You need guys, and, and that's a very difficult thing to instruct at 16, 17 years old. Like, please sacrifice for your rider now, and you may get the chance later. That's a hard thing. I understand that. You know, another criticism I hear about the USA Cycling Development model is that, you know, our America, we don't have any star. We don't have that many stars of mm. the World Tour right now. Uh, we're not, we don't have grand tour champions we don't have classics champions we ha you know instead we tend to have a number of riders who are um support riders or who are um you know year in year out there in the world tour and we talked about this the other day and it sounds like you know that actually is something to look at with pride and with success the fact that this program has developed so many riders to be able to be functioning riders at the world tour level um is there a you know how do you how do you think about that and reconcile that you know okay maybe there's no stars is that a failure of the development system or is that a, a different dynamic i don't i don't necessarily think it's i don't necessarily think it's a failure at all i think that you having someone that has the diamond in the rough right someone like someone like lamont like dropped out of the sky right i mean he's just people knew who he was he was he was destroying pro races when he was a junior in Northern California and, and was able to secure himself a channel that allowed him certain opportunities and allowed growth, right? And you look at that, and I don't know the exact details, but okay, here's this guy that you know goes to the tour and is riding in Europe at a young age and does really, really well. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a, it's a failure that we don't have someone that's as dynamic as Tom Boonin right now. That person will come. We need to be really patient, but we also need to really fight for those channels for that person to have that opportunity to do so and, and to be able to be developed. I look at the guys that we have in the World Tour right now, and I'm actually extremely proud of the work that they put in. Yes, they're support riders, perhaps, and, and guys are going to win and do well at, at certain events. Um, and, yeah, that's our goal, I think, every year. If we can put a, one or two guys into the World Tour every single year, that is a really good success considering how many cyclists we have. And we have a country of 360 million people and there we have, I don't know what it is, around 45,000 people with licenses. I only have, there are 350 juniors to choose from. That's it. Belgium has 1,200. It's a country the size of Maryland. So I don't look at it as a failure at all. I think we're doing really, really well given our licensing size or the, the number of licenses we have. You know, in years past, we've seen junior teams have really great time trialists with uh, Brandon McNulty, mm. um, climbers, stage racers. Uh, it sounds like this year the focus is a little different. It sounds like the junior men's team has really excelled at the classic style of racing, at both the Cobblestone Classics and the Hilly Classics. What can you tell me about some of the guys who are on the team this year? Oh, yeah, we, we have some really good depth. Uh, we have... A 
a lot of good speedy kids that are motivated to do well on one day classics and i think that 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 will change from year to year there are the years that uh, adrian costa was was racing as a junior we were more of a stage racing team and, and we had guys like will barda and on the team and blevins you know he won the peace race and mcnulty won the peace race and as well as many other things and, and you sort of change focus depending on the group and i think when you have someone like quinn simmons who's motivated um as well as his team is motivated to assist and to help at that event you have to build a team around that because that is rare um we're obsessed with stage racing i think in the u.s and races like Hent Wevelhem and Flanders and Schkeldeprice and, and all these races that no one really kind of knows about. Well, they, they all inform what happens later on. And those races, they have those races for juniors as well. And it's, so it's super important that we do them. And we almost lost Perry Roubaix for juniors this year. And thank goodness for John Degenkold came around and, and raised a, a crap ton of money. And they were able to save it, thankfully, because it's super, super important that a person, he, John Degenkold won the junior race, won junior Perry Roubaix. And, and if that's when you start to learn, you know, we do 17 sectors, uh, of cobblestones. We do basically everything after the Arnberg forest and it's only 111 K and it's the most intense 111 K race ever on the calendar. And then if you have the chance to come back as a U23, I mean, think about how many, how many chances you have to race Perry Roubaix. And then even as a pro, you may need, if you're on quick step, like chances are, you're probably not going to be able to do it because it's like, they have so many guys, let's say if quick step is still around in 10 years. And so it's, it's crucial. It's crucial that we, that I, especially this year, I looked at the rosters and I looked at the talent and I hate to use the word talent, but, (laughs) uh, looked at the, looked at the guys that were around. And I thought to myself, like, we're going to build a classics team. And then also I have to, I have to look forward. I have to look at this year at world championships. And I also have to think about next year, you know, next year's in Egelitz in Switzerland. I don't know how that race is going to be. And so, okay, who do we have that can do well now and then also do well next year? So the first years that are here now and the first years that are going to come through this program, that may be for next year. It may not be for this year. Like this year, we're going to try to win Yorkshire because we have the ability to do it. A lot of things need to go right, but I need to control all the variables and put all the variables in place as best we can and eliminate all the ones that are really bad. And that's, it's a huge consideration, but it's, that's what keeps me up at night. So you do these junior versions of some of the very well-known races like Hent Wevelgem and Perry roubaix You also do a number of junior races that I think most Americans have never heard of, mm. but over here are well-known and are very hard and really tough and really good indicators of talent. What are some of these races and the, the names of them and, and what are they like, some of these these junior development races? Yeah, there are many races that no one's ever heard about. Um, there's a stage race that we're going to do on this block called Stirvenza Limburg. It's the, the star of Southern Limburg, and it's probably the hardest stage race we're going to do all year, and no one's ever heard of it. It's not a UCI race. It's basically the Redlands of junior racing, and it's brutal. It's 28 teams and 25, 24 of which are Belgian, and they they will – do anything to win it. Uh, there's a one day stage, uh, one day race that we do here in, in Limburg that's right down the road. It's 10 K from here and it's called the Omloop de Masvale. And it's one of the hardest one day races that no one's ever heard about. And we've been lucky enough to, we've won it twice now. And, um, Brandon McNulty won it and, and Kevin Vermark won it last year. Uh, unfortunately it's the same week as Tour de Pay de Vaud, which is basically a, you know, really hilly mini, uh, stage race in, in Switzerland, which is, one of the only races that we have in the entire year that has a mountaintop finish. Um, we've won it four times in a row with some really talented people. 
and hopefully win it again this year. But, you know, you never know. But uh, there's a junior peace race. It's a uh, four- or five-day stage race in Czech Republic. That was It is a derivative of the original peace race from the 80s when the Eastern Bloc countries were not allowed. And so they have a, a U23 version and a junior version. Yeah, there are a number of races that no one's ever really paid attention to. I think a lot of people think that pros just kind of appear, but they don't. They start as juniors. I mean, it's pretty rare that, a, you know, someone comes out of the woodwork in the European peloton, certainly. In America, it's a little bit different. Like, we have people that kind of come from a different um, background. They may have been a runner or they may have been a rower or a swimmer even, and they have this huge capacity, huge lung capacity, and they do well on a bike, and they kind of advance. Um, in Europe, it's pretty rare. Like, these guys have been – Cancellara was an amazing junior. Kittle was an amazing junior and, and U23 athlete. And they, they did all the races that we're doing. I mean, Gilbert has done the races that we've done. And that so it informs all the stuff that those guys have done informs what we do now. Well, Billy, you are, you know, you, you are a very important man in the in the the pathway for these guys getting to the top and um you know i I think you're one of those unsung heroes who many people (sighs) maybe haven't haven't heard of or know about but you play this outsized role in american cycling and so um we're going to continue to follow the junior men's national team at perry roubaix and with some of these other races going forward so thanks so much for making time thank you for having me awesome Okay, right now, I am really psyched to be joined right now by Quinn Simmons. Quinn uh, just won the Gent-Webblegam Junior Men's Race. Um, he's our reigning junior national champion. Um, Quinn, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, thank you. Quinn, tell us a little bit about yourself. How old are you? Where are you from? How did you get into cycling? I'm 17 from Durango, Colorado. I got into bike racing just basically through my family, mountain bike rides on the weekend, whatever. Did living in Durango, you know, it's a mountain bike community, so that was all I did really, not too much on the road. Started racing, like, not super seriously around age of 14. Always did the local, like, Wednesday races, and that was about when I started to get into group rides. It was my first experience on the road. That kind of took off first year, 15, 16, got on a mountain bike team, whole athlete. That was the first year traveling around the U.S., racing the bigger races. From there, was still pretty much mountain bike focused until last year. Did half and half mountain bike, half road, and then switched full-time road this year. So you're in Durango. I mean, that's this, this legendary mountain bike town. You have Ned Oberon, Todd Wells, Howard Grotz, Chris Blevins. I mean, were you, like, looking up to those guys? What was what was it like for you being on a group ride and looking over and seeing, like, Ned Oberon and Todd Wells when you're a teenager? Yeah, it was pretty cool. There's one ride I specifically remember. It was when Todd was still with the S Racing guys and Ned as well, and then Chris and Howard and we're on this group ride and we're rotating through a pace line. There's probably eight of us. And I remember seeing all three of them on the specialized factory team, which like as a junior in the U S especially in Durango, you look up to like that, that red kit, it stands out. And that's something you look and you're like, Oh wow. One day, you know, I want to race for specialized and I want to be like those guys. And you just show up on these group rides and like you look around and it's like, okay, well there's top three at nationals last year. There's the best, then it was looking up to Chris as a 17-18, you know, best junior. He had just come off his Alpstadt World Cup win. It's seen an American win a World Cup. And I was on the same 
mountain bike team as him at that point. It's like opened your eyes because I had never been over here racing. And then, you know, Todd going to the Olympics, followed by Howard going to the Olympics. And then who knows what happens next year. You see maybe Howard or Chris. It's just you're in the community. You know, it's mountain bike focused, so it's a little weird. But now we have a guy like Sepp who's in the world tour and doing really well. You see him win Utah. Super cool. It just, I mean, it's motivational and you want to try and keep up with them, but they're great, all great to ride with and great for training. Yeah. And it's, you know, I would imagine it's one of those things where as a young cyclist, you see these heroes of the sport, but when you live in a town like Durango and you see them, you know, in the group ride and you can see yourself maybe keeping up with them or maybe even beating them at some point, that probably gives you a certain amount of confidence. Yeah. I mean, there's always a little bit of competitiveness there, especially, you know, when I was first riding with Chris on the team, you look up to him and he's so much better, but you do a group ride, you try and keep up with him. You try and hold Todd's wheel and each ride, you make it a little further, you know, suddenly you're going up a climb and you sit on Howard's wheel for two minutes instead of one minute the next time and it just slowly builds. And that's how I started training, just trying to keep up with those guys twice a week or however much it was. And eventually you get close to their level and it starts to be you're really competitive and then you're sprinting at the finish of the group ride and I mean it's always just been fun and having them as motivation was really important as a junior so we talked before and you said that you know it was about a year and a half ago you switched um to doing more road racing and then this 2019 is your first season where you're racing solely on the road away from mountain bike racing you know when you did make the switch to road bike racing from mountain bike racing uh, what were the challenges there? Like, what was the hardest part of getting used to a road bike race compared to a mountain bike race? Uh, so my first race with Lux was Valley of the Sun, which is like the biggest selection or one of the bigger selection races to come over here for the U.S. And it starts out with a time trial. I've never done a time trial before. So it's just like learning your warm up routine, learning putting on the skin suit. That was really hard. Like, I had never had a pair of clothing that you need three people to put on. So that was that was a new experience. And then first time wearing shoe covers and all that and just the mental focus of being able to rip a time trial. And then you go it's stage racing, so I'd never raced three days in a row. So you go finish the race immediately and to recover for the next day. Race the road race and you have to recover for the crit. And I was in the G C lead, so never had had to defend that and just what goes into there and the pressure with that. But Really, I mean, it's just racing. You start and you try to be the first to the finish. Yeah. And just learning how to do that efficiently and how to make sure you can consistently do it's the biggest difference. So that result and some others put you on the radar of USA Cycling. And in 2018, they brought you over here to the development house in Sittard and really started to expose you to these European junior races, races like Antwevelgem. And, you know, a bunch of races that most American fans have probably never even heard of but are unbelievably hard and are the development races that help identify the talent and the stars of uh, tomorrow. Uh, something that always blows me away about the racing scene over here in Belgium and the Netherlands is just these races are so hard and they're, they're there to really teach kids how to be bike racers. You know, what were some of your experiences like in some of the first European races you did last spring where were you excelling and where were you still needing to work on stuff? Well, so Hent Wevelham was the first race I'd ever done over here. And really the first thing you notice is even within the neutral start, it's just full on fight for position. You have to, everyone wants to be at the front at the exact same time. And everyone over here will do whatever it takes to get there. There's not really much respect and 
people are willing to take really big chances just to move up. So that was something you definitely had to get used to. It's a huge change going from in the U.S., say you have 50 juniors or 70 if it's a big race, and you have two lanes of a wide highway, and it's just you decide you want to go to the front, and you're there. Here it's 10, 15K of completely fighting for every position, and then once you get there, it's still a fight. And on these roads, I mean, the guys from Belgium, well, them, they probably rode that road their entire life. They've probably done other races on it before, and then we come over, and I'd never raced on a road that was eight feet wide before. And then you're in with 200 people. That was just really the biggest thing to adjust was just the different roads and their mentality. And for me, I was able just through, like, my physiology and my training to be strong enough that I could ride in the wind and, like, be there in the front. But from doing that wrong and not knowing how to position in the group, I ended up wasting a lot of energy. So this year's that's where the biggest change has been is just learning how to be efficient in the group and being able to move forward without just sprinting in the wind and getting by off of just being strong because it's really a thinking game over here rather than just who can do the most watts, which is what you see at home. Yeah, these races over here, they're, you know, a lot of them are over 100 kilometers, and like you said, they're held on these narrow, twisty, windy roads where positioning is key. You can't just... Uh, fan out on the uh, across a wide American road and attack. Um, how would you describe the dynamics of these junior races? Is it like attack, attack, attack? Is it a breakaway goes and people settle down? Like how? Take us inside what a junior race over here feels like. Um, I mean, the easiest way to explain it would be a short track mountain bike race for three hours. It is basically full gas attacks nonstop all day. And, I mean, sometimes maybe the right stage race or whatever, a break will go and it'll get controlled. But for the most part, you're basically riding as hard as you can and just making sure – because anything can roll off at any time, so you have to always be at the front, always be fighting. And, I mean, there's not like the pro where, okay, eight guys are going to roll away, then we're going to chill for a couple hours. It's full gas all day, basically just survival until it's whittled down to like the 15, 20 strongest guys and then – it gets a little more tactical about who attacks when and where, but the biggest part is making sure you're in position and just able to be strong enough to make it to that last little group. You know, I talked to your teammate, Luke Lamperti, about some of the social dynamics that goes on in these races, and he said, oh, man, some of these races you roll up and the Belgian kids are kind of laughing at you or they don't want to give you an inch and they kind of treat you like crap. And then if you're able to get a good result, then the respect starts to build and people are saying what's up to you, et cetera. I mean, did you notice that at all with the Gent Wevelgem finish you had last year and this year? Well, so Gent Wevelgem was my first race and I was able to end up on the podium there, which that almost instantly gets your respect. So I kind of was lucky enough to skip the first part of not having the respect from the riders so I mean instantly going into my second race people already knew who I was and I mean it's true they do respect you more and allow you to move through the group and it's a lot safer especially later in the summer once we get into the stage racing where the bigger teams are already established and the best guys everyone knows after the spring and at that point it gets a little bit more professional to where you're allowed to do your work like after the spring say we were at a stage race the guys knew they could trust me to not let the wheel go and they knew I was there to pull for someone or whatever it's a lot easier but then the next year I th I'd say everything resets like they remember what you did last year but you still have to reprove yourself 
That's interesting. You know, in some of the conversations I've had with your teammates, I ask them a lot of questions about, you know, hey, you're on this track towards the elite level of the sport. You're living in Sittard. You're away from home. Um, there's a there's kind of a weird social dynamic that must happen with friends back home who don't really know anything about bike racing, or they, maybe they know about the Tour de France or Lance Armstrong, but they don't know about Hent Wevelgam. It, it must be a little different for you because you do come from this cycling hotbed where people, you know, people will understand and respect the result of like a podium at Hent Wevelgam. But still, do you come up against that um, that? hurdle in talking to people outside of the cycling world about what your life is like i mean you're not a typical you're not living a typical 17 year old american life i mean you said it a little bit but i've been lucky enough to be in durango where i mean it is a sport the fort lewis mountain bike team that's more established than the football team there's probably not too many team or towns in the country where that's how it is so i've always you know, my friend group had been, you know, the Devo kids and then the guys on whole athlete and now the guys on Lux. So never really branched out from that. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I I enjoy it. I like having this be my group. Like we're over here, six of us, and we're all really good friends and we do team camps together. So you spend a lot of time with those guys. And for me, you know, that's who I was with in school was my Devo friends. It was guys I ride with after class or Skiing was a little like I had always had my ski friends, and it was just two different worlds, but it was always focused around sports. So pretty lucky in that regard. And everyone in Durango, you know, you, you run into them on the street. They all know what bike racing is because, you know, I'm coming from, I'm like 10th in line of the greatest, like, bike racers from Durango. You're so used to Todd or Howard or all those guys. So, I mean, it's a known sport. And, I mean, it's different than probably someone from a big city where then kids are totally clueless. But I think almost every person in the high school at least knows it's something Mm. just because our our newspaper, the Herald, covers it so well and just all the media outlets at home are put it more on the front page rather than on the back foot like I think you'd see in a lot of big cities. So, Quinn, the big buzz around you this year is uh, your victory at Hent Wevelgem. We are about a week and a half removed, well, two weeks removed from your big win there. Um, First American junior man to win Hent Wevelgum. Um, Tell us the story of your race. Take us inside. Um, So we flew over here the week before. You know, you get over the jet lag, have lots of time just to really prepare. I knew five of the guys on the team already because all five of us were on Lux, and then we brought another rider from Hot Tubes, Magnus. I got to know him for the first week. We did a recon on Thursday got a real good look at the important parts of the course a little different finish than last year Uh, we last year just ran straight highway for the last 10k into town this year they added some more technical roads a little more crosswind a little rolly so got a really good look at that Uh, started the race crashed right away in the neutral that was good switched my shoe and then the guys just rode real strong all day keeping me at the front and just making sure we always had someone in a move to take the pressure off a little bit. They drilled it into the first time up the camel to try and split something off, which it did split, but came back together. So the second time up the camel, we hit it again really hard, split it down to 30 guys. Luckily, got three of us in there. So we were able to just alternate taking turns, covering moves, and just keeping it all together. Then at 15K to go, one of the British riders attacked. I followed that, 
it ended up getting us about 20 seconds and it held and I had rode away from him at 2k to go and that so was it that was it how did it feel yeah. across the line uh, it's it's a mix first it was first a little bit of shock too because you spend so much time training and thinking about it like but to finally have it come together and be able to do it then the next feeling is relief because you come in everyone says there's no pressure you're not supposed to feel pressure as a junior but when you're third the year before and everyone's looking at you you're named the pre-race favorite it's I mean they say there's no pressure but there is you're it's I mean it was a big race and it was a big target for me and I spent a lot of the winter training and thinking about that so to make it happen and just the way we were able to ride together and it was really cool because last year a lot of these races ended up pretty isolated but this year we came with a really good group and we rode really well together and just knowing that you know I'm here with really good friends and we're all able to ride together and make it work and then being the first American to do that it's just extra special now Quint in the years past we've seen Americans at the junior and U23 level you know be on sort of the stage race um, focus or the hilly the climb race class uh, focus whereas this group seems to be a little bit more focused on classics hilly classics cobblestone classics races like this I think it's cool because we haven't had too many American heroes of the cobblestone classics in the last 20 years um, what is it about these races that appeals to you and, and just this riding style? Uh, I I think it's just more – first of all, as a fan, you know, the classics, that's what I like to watch. I mean, obviously, you like to watch the tour because it's a tour. But for me, when I was growing up, my favorite race of the year to watch was always Roubaix. And a lot of that, for me, came around – those were always my favorite riders, like the Boonins and the Cancellaras and Sagan now. I think that type of rider so much cooler. Just, you know, the real strong, hard men who are out there fighting those long races. And it's almost like throws in the aspect of mountain bike racing because there is technical skill. Whereas you come from America and everyone's a really good time trialist and a really good climber. And I think years past, we had always come over the trips before me and whatever had come over and not had the greatest time over here. And didn't really go into it with the mentality of being able to be competitive because we've always been the good time trials, the good climbers. You look at guys like Brandon and Adrian, who they come over here and do really well and win the stage races, and everyone wants to be like that. And when we came over last year, and it was the first trip in a long time where we actually did get some good results, it kind of opened up the eyes that, oh, yeah, we can be competitive and these races are cool. So with your classics focus, um, what do you want the next few years to look like for you? Um, you know, what's a, what's a perfect um, progression for Quinn Simmons at this point? Um, well, right now I'm kind of just thinking about next weekend, but the progression would be you know, move over here, race for a good team, get a do the U23 Classics again, so I'd like to race U23 Hent Wevelham and then U23 Flanders, U23 Roubaix, and then hopefully after that make the step up to the elite races and just learn as much as I can, you know, maybe in 10 years be competitive at a monument or whatever would be the ultimate goal. And how being over here for your second year and racing in these races and living this lifestyle, what are the things that you think most American cyclists back home don't really don't really know or maybe appreciate about um, the challenge of training over here, living over here, and racing over here. 
Well, I think the biggest thing is they don't understand that cycling over here is like football at home. Last weekend, you know, it was Flanders weekend. It feels like Super Bowl day at home. Like It is a real sport, and these guys will do whatever it takes to make themselves professionals. The best Belgian cyclists or the Dutch guys, like, that's a huge honor the country's over here. Like, they're stars, and just that raises the level so high that, I mean, if you look at, say, American football and, like, high school football in Texas, I mean, they're over here it's just as competitive as, say, those schools are. And, I mean, at the age of 17, you're expected to almost be a professional with your training and your nutrition and the equipment and what you have to do to be ready for these races because if you're not doing everything perfect, you're just not going to be competitive, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, it sounds like everybody's strong, and so it's not necessarily a, a matter of, you know, some talent, top talent riding away from everybody. It's like this mixture of professionalism, hard work, knowing the races, uh, being tactically smart that helps someone get to the top. Yeah, these guys, they're such – I mean, they start racing at such a young age and do so many race days on – it's the same roads every year and they just progress up the level to the, by the time they're 17, they've raced these roads hundreds of times and they already know all the guys over here. So that helps. They know the strengths of different teams. And I think the biggest thing is just knowing the roads and knowing the style of racing. Cause we come over here in your first road race and it's just like a big kick in the face that, wow, there's 200 guys in this race and they're all just as strong as me. And then you realize oh, there's four of these races in Belgium alone today with 200 strong guys in each one of those. It's like, wow. Because you go from the U.S. and you show up to U.S. Nationals and there's five, ten guys that could win that race. You come here, there's, yeah, it's just different. It's a whole different level. Well, I think that uh, we um, are in a good place that we have a guy like you and then some of the other riders on this uh, USA Cycling Junior Development team who are really focusing on the classics and who – have ambitions and the talent to want to be one of those uh, 100 riders or so who's capable of winning and wants to win. Yeah, I think it's good that, I mean, we have a really mo motivated team this year, and we can do well. And, I mean, we proved that last weekend. Hopefully continue the momentum into this next weekend. And then coming up, the first years on the team are really good, and they'll be back here next year. And hopefully also keep the progression going, keep raising the level. Because I think, especially after last weekend, there's going to be more Americans who want to race these races. I think the juniors are going to start to realize that we can be competitive and that it's not just a European sport. Well, Quinn, thanks so much for giving us some time. And uh, we're going to be looking forward to seeing what you can do in Roubaix this coming weekend. And, yeah, Quinn, keep your eyes on him at the classes. Thanks so much. Right. Thank you.